0: Let us turn to Isaiah 14 in our Bibles. For any listening to this sermon or viewing this service later, we would suggest that you go to the PowerPoint presentation of September 4th, 2019 on our website and that you would consider the sermon preached this a.m., of September 8, 2019 from Isaiah 13 because we will not make any introduction but we are going to head straight into Isaiah 14. We have 32 verses to cover and there are two or three places in the chapter that we want to stop and consider more carefully. Isaiah 14 has 32 verses. The first three verses are God's promised victory to Israel. Babylon is the subject matter. Verses 4 through 23, 20 verses, are a proverb, an extended proverb, which is a parable, ridiculing and mocking the king of Babylon. Verses 24 through 27 are some very meaningful verses about God's eternal decrees and purposes that he executes in the earth and were very meaningful to me in my late teen years as the Lord revealed himself as the sovereign, governor, God, and ruler of the universe. There are special verses. And then the last five verses warn the Philistines not to be joyful, because what they thought had died, a serpent, that serpent was going to give birth to a cockatrice, and the cockatrice was going to bring forth a fiery flying serpent. We'll figure that out in just a few minutes. Isaiah 14. Those are the four sections of Isaiah 14. Let's go straight into the first three verses that uh, comprise the first section. For the Lord will have mercy on Jacob, and will yet choose Israel, and set them in their own land. And the strangers shall be joined with them, and they shall cleave to the house of Jacob." And the people shall take them and bring them to their place. And the house of Israel shall possess them in the land of the Lord for servants and handmaids. And they shall take them captives, whose captives they were. And they shall rule over their oppressors. And it shall come to pass in the day that the Lord shall give thee rest from thy sorrow, and from thy fear, and from the hard bondage wherein thou wast made to serve, that thou shalt take up this proverb against the king of Babylon. And so we stop there for these first three verses. Remember, Isaiah 13 was describing the overthrow of Babylon, and according to the 17th verse of Isaiah 13, it would be by the Medes and the Persians, under the direction of Darius the Mede and Cyrus the Great of the Persian Empire. And so Isaiah 13, 17 told us what Isaiah 13 was about. It was the burden of Babylon, God's purpose to judge them. And in judging of Babylon, he was going to free his church that had been taken captive to Babylon and had been there for 70 years. They were going to be released by Cyrus the the Great, the Persian, who made a declaration that the Lord God of heaven hath given me a charge that I should build him a house in Jerusalem. And so all of you Jews that would like to return to Jerusalem 1,000 miles, you are welcome to pack up and leave, and we will help support you and protect you on the way. The Lord God of heaven has given me a charge. And so that is found in the book of Ezra and 2 Chronicles. It's in the Bible twice, and then various aspects of it are in other places as well, prophetically, that we will come to in the book of Isaiah. So, when we look at this first verse, For the Lord will have mercy on Jacob... What does mercy on Jacob put right in contrast with dashing children against stones? Because the judgment of Babylon would release his church. Because Cyrus is the one that would overthrow Babylon to release the church. And 45,000 would come back to Jerusalem and begin the rebuilding project. That is what these verses are about. He'll have mercy on Jacob, not on Babylon. <laughs> there was no mercy for Babylon, but there was mercy for the church that was in Babylon and set them in their own land. You know, the Jews, in here called Jacob, here called Israel. Jacob's name was changed to Israel, and set them in their own land back in Judah and Jerusalem. And the strangers, that is Gentiles, some Babylonians, some Chaldeans, some Persians, shall be joined with them, and they shall cleave to the house of Jacob. These are Gentile proselytes. If you go read the book of Esther, chapter 8, verse 17. When the decrees went forth for the jews to be able to kill all their enemies and the persians were able to recognize that there was a great change made in their leader to have completely reversed some of his legislation do you know what it says they joined the jews religion these are gentile proselytes and so there there's some of us although of different nationalities from the middle east that joined with the jews and came back with them, and wanted to cleave to them. And the people, that is the Jews, shall take them and bring them to their place. See, the Jews had lived in their place. Now they would take them and bring them back to live in the Jews' place. And the house of Israel shall possess them in the land of the Lord for servants and handmaids, and they shall take them captives whose captives they were. But those, these are willing captives. They want to go back. They want to be Gentile proselytes. They want to follow the monotheistic religion of the Jews in worshiping the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And so these verses describe it. You say, you're going awfully fast. 32 verses, limited minutes. There's places we need to stop. This is not difficult. You know why Isaiah 13 had to occur for two reasons, vengeance and salvation. Vengeance against the Babylonians, Babylonians, salvation of the Jews, That were their captives these three verses begin with that that the destruction of Babylon in chapter 13 would result in God's mercy toward the Jews that were captive there but those Jews when they heard the decree of Cyrus and they learned that Babylon had been overthrown that their great enemy of 70 years that had leveled their city destroyed their temple taken the vessels of the temple hauled them a thousand miles away made their best young men eunuchs, and on and on we could go what Babylon did to the Jews. When they heard the decree of Cyrus, they would celebrate. And part of their celebration would be comparable to Moses and Miriam dancing on the shore of the Red Sea with Pharaoh's army drowned. Because this would be, they would take up this proverb, and it's a long one, so we can call it a parable as well, they would take up this parable against the king of Babylon. And what king of Babylon was most recent in their minds? Belshazzar. And I'm just just sticking that out there for right now. So verse verse 3 tells us, When it shall come to pass in the day that the Lord shall give thee rest, from thy sorrow and from thy fear, and from the hard bondage wherein thou wast made to serve in Babylon, when you're delivered from Babylon by Cyrus the Great, that thou shalt take up this proverb against the king of Babylon. And so for 20 verses we have an extended proverb, and I read that to you now. How hath the oppressor ceased? The golden city ceased. The Lord hath broken the staff of the wicked and the scepter of the rulers. He who smote the people in wrath with a continual stroke, he that ruled the nations in anger, is persecuted and none hindereth the whole earth is at rest and is quiet they break forth into singing yea the fir trees rejoice at thee and the cedars of Lebanon saying since thou art laid down no feller is come up against us hell from beneath is moved for thee to meet thee at thy coming it stirreth up the dead for thee even all the chief ones of the earth. It hath raised up from their thrones all the kings of the nations. All they shall speak and say unto thee, Art thou also become weak as we? Art thou become like unto us? Thy pomp is brought down to the grave, and the noise of thy vials. The worm is spread under thee, and the worms cover thee. I will be like the Most High. Yet thou shalt be brought down to hell, to the sides of the pit. They that see thee shall narrowly look upon thee, and consider thee, saying, Is this the man that made the earth to tremble, that did shake kingdoms, that made the world as a wilderness, and destroyed the cities thereof, that opened not the house of his prisoners? all the kings of the nations even all of them lie in glory every one in his own house but thou art cast out of thy grave like an abominable branch and as the raiment of those that are slain thrust through with the sword that go down to the stones of the pit as a carcass trodden under feet thou shalt not be joined with them in burial because thou hast destroyed thy land and slain thy people. The seed of evildoers shall never be renowned. Prepare slaughter for his children, for the iniquity of their fathers, that they do not rise, nor possess the land, nor fill the face of the world with cities. For I will rise up against them, saith the Lord of hosts, and cut off from Babylon the name and remnant and son and nephew, saith the Lord. I will also make it a possession for the bittern and pools of water, and I will sweep it with the besom of destruction, saith the Lord of hosts. Amen and amen. Verse 23 lines up perfectly with verses 20 through 22 of chapter 13. Isaiah 14, 23 lines up perfectly with Isaiah 13 20-22 because it's a summary verse of the desolation of Babylon at the end of a 20 verse parable extended proverb figurative speech extravagant language using similitudes to make a point of mockery and ridicule of the king of Babylon the king of Babylon is used in a singular form but that it can be a collective noun very easily. But there is a king of Babylon that was most recent on the throne that I want you to think about, and I'll comment on him in a few moments. We are going to go through these verses very quickly because there's many to go through. Verse 4. How hath the oppressor ceased, the golden city ceased. The city of Babylon as the capital of the Babylonian Empire ended in a night. The oppression wrought by the king of babylon ended in a night as cyrus the great who ruled differently then babylon took over and so the parable or the proverb starts in verse four with those exclamation points they're not questions they're declarations how hath the oppressor ceased because he has ceased the oppressor is no more verse 5 the lord hath broken the staff of the wicked and the scepter of the rulers their royal authority is over he verse 6 he who smote the people in wrath with a continual stroke the babylonians being known for their cruelty he that ruled the nations in anger is persecuted and none hindereth there's no one defending him there's no one protecting him he is now being persecuted and punished as he used to do to others verse 7 the whole earth is at rest and is quiet the babylonian earth and the nations affected by it they break forth into singing the whole world is celebrating does the book of proverbs tell us that when the wicked are deposed and more righteous men take thrones that there is celebration in the city yes and so that is confirmed right here with an example verse 8 do not think me going too fast brethren These verses are simple. There are some more obscure ones coming. Verse 8, Yea, the fir trees rejoice at thee, and the cedars of Lebanon, saying, Since thou art laid down, no feller is come up against us. Here are other nations, and this feller here is not slang for fellow. I was hoping it would be. It's a unique word in the Bible, feller it's it's not slang for fellow it's a lumberjack right. it's a tree cutter it's one who fells trees and you can tell that with a context if we just don't ever look for games in the Bible and you know I did that only Lord do you have feller in the Word of God no not in the way that we would use it in that sense the fir trees nations and their rulers rejoice at the fact that Belshazzar and the king of Babylon is no longer in authority, since thou art laid down as a tree, since you've been laid down the big tree, no feller, no lumberjacks have shown up to cut us down. Because that's what the kings of Babylon did, was cut down other kings. I mean, cut them down, I'm referring to the the similitude here of a lumberjack with a tree. I hope you can understand that, it's simple enough and it's, it's a proverb. We should be looking for figurative language, mm-hmm. extravagant language, prophetic language. It's all very interesting. It's beautiful. Those who study language consider these 20 verses some of the most beautiful and glorious and creative ever. This is describing the overthrow of the king of Babylon. And there's some neat things coming up. You should, all, you should have questions about some of the verses that are coming. But we, got, we just had to take care of feller. Verse 9. Hell from beneath is moved for thee to meet thee at thy coming. It stirreth up the dead for thee, even all the chief ones of the earth. It hath raised up from their thrones all the kings of the nations. Hell here is the grave beneath us in the ground. It's the place of the dead. It's how the word is often used in the Bible. The Bible says, Thou wilt not leave my soul in hell. That's the Lord Jesus Christ speaking in Psalm 16 and verse 10. It's found in Acts chapter 2. He's referring to the grave. God only left his body in the grave for three days and three nights. Where did Jesus in his spirit go during those three days and three nights? Into heaven. Because he said, Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit. He said to the thief, today thou shalt be with me in paradise. He didn't go to the lake of fire as the Apostles' Creed wants us to believe. Okay, so let's just get past that. We've got more difficult things to take. up. Hell from beneath is moved for thee to meet thee at thy coming. Most are cast into the grave with the grave being rather passive, the grave not doing very much. But God is so sure of his judgment of this king and his death is so violent and so quick, and without anyone hindering him, it's as if the grave came up to meet him. Hello, I'm the grave. I'm taking you back with me. It's just beautiful language. It stirreth up the dead for thee, even all the chief ones of the earth. And so this parable is going to now put some words in the mouths of the princes of the earth and the kings of the nations, that had been defeated by the king of Babylon. This is a parable. It's a proverb. Don't get too worked up about the individual words. Just look at the beauty of it and the mockery of it. Right. This man didn't get to die ordinarily with a nice funeral, it's coming, and put in the grave, the grave came after him. Hell from beneath, is moved for thee to meet thee at thy coming. You're going to meet on the way to him because the grave is coming to you. The cemetery is coming to get you. Verse 10, all they, the they are the chief ones of the earth, the princes that the king of Babylon had defeated, and the kings of the nations. All they shall speak and say unto thee, because they're already dead. They're They're in the cemetery art thou also become weak as we art thou become like unto us oh is there a lesson here for us practically just for a minute is there one thing that's going to unite us all death and burial death and burial and so these kings are saying you thought you were someone special we thought you were someone special the way you conducted yourself and built memorials for yourself and had holidays for yourself and required people to worship thee that they could pray to no other god for 30 days but to thee which is going to be Darius the that's not this king of Babylon I'm just giving you examples of how highly they thought of themselves are you like us and you know what death is the great equalizer yeah we're all the same when it comes to death verse 11 thy pomp is brought down to the grave and the noise of thy vials babylon was known for its music Do you remember the list of instruments that Nebuchadnezzar said? When you hear the band strike up in the orchestra, with all of its instrumentation, I expect you to fall down and worship the golden image that I have set up, or else. His or else is worse than anyone else's we can ever read about in history. is Nebuchadnezzar. Thy pomp, pomp, is majestic beauty and splendid display of royal ceremonies and palaces. Thy pomp is brought down to the grave It is dropped into the cemetery, into a hole, and the noise of thy vials. All the vial, lens, and other instruments that they used to make music were ended. They had died, were buried. The worm is spread under thee. Instead of pomp, it's worm. The worm is spread under thee, and the worms cover thee. Do you know what's going to happen to these bodies of ours that we worry about so much? Worms will cover them and eat them. Let's keep our priorities in the right place. They can't touch our spirits. Let's give our spirits to the Lord and our bodies as a living sacrifice. So we come to verse 12. Let me read verses 12 through 14. Again, second time. Verses 12 through 14 are commonly applied to the devil. And instead of this being a parable at this point, All of a sudden, the words become perfectly literal for three verses. Then, in verse 15 and proceeding, they go back to being figurative. There's there's so much that can and should be said, I will try to say enough for you. I have preached that Lucifer is a name of the devil. lucifer is not a name of the devil the devil isn't in this passage any more than the devil was in isaiah 13. was the devil in isaiah 13 yes but was he the object of isaiah 13 no is he the object here no i am sorry but we pray for god to show things to me to show to you right. and i thank him for showing me something that i worried about for a long time but i continue to preach What I was taught and what I learned until there's a tsunami of evidence that tells me that is ridiculous. And it's ridiculous. The, The references to Luciferian religion and Lucifer as being the name of the devil before he fell, that's all made up from here because nowhere else in the Bible is it taught. Nowhere else in the Bible are these three verses referenced. This is the only place in the Bible with the word Lucifer there's no help anywhere else we only have one helper context and do you know what context tells us this is the king of Babylon who thought he was high and mighty and the Lord threw him in the grave let me read them to you again how art thou fallen from heaven o Lucifer son of the morning exclamation point as part of this proverb or parable how art thou cut down to the ground which didst weaken the nations. These are not questions, they're statements. For thou hast said in thine heart, this is why verse 12 happened, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will sit also upon the mount of the congregation in the sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the most high. Now we have worked these verses before because we've used Isaiah 14 for proof texting, rather than studying it in its entirety for its context. One of the terrible things about preaching, topical messages, is going to commonly well-known places to pull out a proof text. And we come to this, we come to this passage, we have come to this passage before and used it as proof texting about the devil and it's not about the devil. It's about the king of Babylon. Right. Now let me try to show you that in several different ways, in, in, a, in as few words as possible. We've learned some things already in Isaiah. Remember Isaiah 1.18? Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Is the blood of Jesus Christ and His substitutionary atonement the legal phase of salvation in Isaiah 1.18? No, it is not. All it is is repentance, and God will forgive us and let us start over again with a clean slate. We, we covered that when we were there. Psalm 89 and verse 1, which I've sung as a, since I was a little child. I've sung it for 55 years. I will sing of the mercies of the Lord forever, never knowing what the mercies of the Lord were. What are the mercies of the Lord? The promise to David that his son would sit forever on the throne of God in heaven. Right. We could go to Isaiah 7 in the last five verses. We could go to Isaiah 10 and verse 27 because of the anointing. And these things that we hadn't seen before, we're seeing now because of expository preaching, because expository preaching requires expository studying. Right. Instead of setting up a mission statement for a sermon, brainstorming about that mission statement and what I want to accomplish, and pulling all the proof texts that that readily come to mind or that the treasury of Scripture knowledge gives me, and so we have a sermon prepared, it takes as much time but we end up doing something dangerous, and that's pulling here and there without always honoring the context. Now we're trying to honor the context. We pray for God to reveal more truth than He has, and I praise Him for it. The common and popular interpretation of these verses turns 100% literal about Satan. It's amazing. They know that by reading from verse 4 to verse 11, that... There's a great deal of figures of speech here, like hell moving, and the kings of the earth that are already buried having a conversation with the king of Babylon. But then they make it literal in verses 12 through 14. And once you make it literal, you're in deep trouble. Okay, in verse 13, I will ascend into heaven. The devil was already in heaven. Why would the devil want to ascend into heaven? Who wasn't in heaven that would think that he might be in, should be in heaven? the king of Babylon kings love divine worship I will exalt my throne above the stars of God the throne of Satan was already above the stars of God make the stars anything you wish them to be make the stars literal stars make the stars angels like they're called in Job 38 and verse 7 he was already above them so what's going on here this is a parable In a parable, you don't try to pin down the words and give them some specific meaning other than to see the general theme and message of ridicule and mockery of the king of Babylon. Where else in the Bible does he call Lucifer? Why would God name the arch enemy of his son his son's name? What is Lucifer? The bright and morning star? The light bearer? Are you kidding me? Would the God of heaven mock the king of Babylon for ever thinking that he was anything like Venus? Yes, he would. Who is the bright and morning star? Revelation 22.16 I am the root and offspring of David, and I am the bright and morning star. You know, when you start talking about Lucifer and Jesus being the same person, And Michael, being Jesus, I'm adding to it, then you sound like a Mormon. But we aren't confused like the Mormons. And let's just study this passage in its context and let it flow and think about a particular king of Babylon that fits the bill here and think about a particular north and sides and congregation and mountain that we just sang about. Oh, Lord, you're so good. They don't even know yet how good you are. No other place in the Bible makes this the devil's name or the description about him. There are no facts in these verses or context to directly indicate the devil or Satan. Do not forget that this is a proverb, highly figurative and extravagant in its language. The exclamation points here are continuing the mockery of the proverb. If we imagine things here, if we're going to imagine things here that this is the devil, then should we imagine that angels and humans had sex in Genesis chapter 6 so that we end up with Nephilim? No, 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 no. We're going to stay in context. Why not continue on in court, in in context, about the king of Babylon rather than run to angelology? That's what it's called, the study of angels. Angelology, because this must be the devil and and so now, what can we learn about the devil? I want to say this to you for those of you that are disappointed and, and scared. Everything we know about the devil is taught in other places right. because there's nothing here taught about the devil that isn't taught in other places if you were to still think this is the devil, which it is not at all. This is the king of Babylon. You ask me, Pastor, but aren't there devils and demons and, or fallen angels behind every wicked monarch in the world of course there are yeah that's taught other places it's not taught here that this isn't in the mockery of the king of babylon yes i totally agree that the devil is behind false kingdoms and that there was a prince of grisha and a prince of persia that referred to fallen angels in those empires but not here not here nothing here you say yeah but this tells us about the pride of the devil i don't need this passage about the pride of the devil i've got first timothy chapter 3 and verse 6 that tells me the devil fell for pride. I don't, need any, I, don't, I don't need this passage at all to bolster anything in the Bible about the devil. It's just become convenient that Lucifer, and you know, once someone starts down a path, you know Nephilim, once you start down that path, lots of people jump on that bandwagon, and they follow it, and we, we aren't gonna follow it. And we're not gonna follow this one. I'm not gonna follow it. I'm gonna follow the context and realize that God, in 20 verses, is mocking the king of Babylon, particularly Belshazzar. The context before and after is Belshazzar or the kings of Babylon considered collectively. Immediately before is a grave and worms eating a corpse. Look at 11. Have worms ever been a threat to Satan? Never. No. No. Satan ever going to a grave? Doesn't have a body to put in a grave? Nope. You come on down past it. Verse 16. They that see thee shall narrowly look upon thee. And they're talking about a man. Is this the man? See, no one's ever going to talk about the devil as, is this the man? Satan is so much more powerful than a man. In what way, at this time, trying to maintain the proverb, was Satan cut down to size? What happened back at this time where Satan was cut down to size? Lucifer, which is the morning star, the planet of Venus before sunrise, Thus, the son of the morning in our English Bibles is describing the king of Babylon's thoughts about himself and how highly he thought about himself. If you take this section to be about the devil, you have to take every one of these clauses in literally from 12 through 14. Then you're going to have to jump back to the figurative because we're going to have kings that are dead in their houses meaning their caskets and mausoleums and their monuments that were built to them. And so you're going to be in serious trouble. You've got 20 verses where you are told that it is a proverb and you should take it as a proverb and understand it as a proverb. And so when it calls someone and says that they thought they were a morning star and that they've been cut down to size and that they thought that they would sit in some particular mountain in the con- with the congregation on the sides of the north, some king that would think that high- Are you with me? Oh, yeah. Was there a king that thought that? What king of Babylon was he? Once appearing as the bright and morning star in human government, Belshazzar and the other kings of Babylon were the greatest rulers on earth. They fell a long way because now they're not even getting a timely burial. They're being thrown in the ground. They're being cut down like a tree. And the other trees are rejoicing that that he and them, meaning the kings of Babylon, are just like them. Once being like a mighty cedar of Lebanon, he's been cut down to lie on the ground. And this language here is just fantastic. How art thou fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning? You thought, king of Babylon, you thought, Belshazzar, you thought, Nebuchadnezzar, that you were someone great. Look how you've been cut down to nothing and you've been tossed in the ground. It's a proverb. Where else is Lucifer used in the Bible? How many occurrences? So you want, to run, you want to run wild with one use right here? You say, well, Satan makes himself an angel of light. Oh, that's only through lying. He isn't an angel of light. He makes himself out to be an angel of light because he's a liar. And so here we are in verse 12. We've got to make a decision. Is this a proverb? Is this about the king of Babylon? Or has Isaiah completely changed tracks? Said, sit down, boys, and I want to give you a lesson in angelology, and I would like to tell you about Satan, the old serpent, the devil that was from the beginning and is going to go to the end. I want to tell you about him. He wanted to be above the other angels. Well, he was. He wanted to sit in the side. He already did. So it doesn't work. It doesn't work. Right. Let's come to verse thirteen. When we look at verse thirteen, let's maintain several things in our minds. Let's maintain context by remembering that these twenty verses are about Belshazzar or the collective kings of Babylon. Let's maintain genre, the genre of the proverb, the extended proverb, a parable, by remembering that this is proverbially mocking, proverbially mocking the king of Babylon. Let's remember that. Let's maintain history by what Belshazzar did that night, rejecting private interpretations about the devil. We don't want private interpretations. The Bible warns us, no private interpretation in the Bible where we grab one occurrence of one word and decide it's the devil. The ten commentaries that I use that are from before 1900, they all ridicule this entire concept of Lucifer, being, no, one, no one would ever admit that, reading the context of Isaiah chapter 14. It's about the king of Babylon. Let's maintain history by remembering Belshazzar and what he did that night. Let's maintain hermeneutics by remembering that the prophets told us that they used similitudes. Right. And so we've got a similitude here of the king of Babylon thinking that he was Venus, the bright and morning star, that he was what was ushering in the day of the human Progress, of human progress, by being king of Babylon, the great city, uh, the golden city. Did the king of Babylon ever think of himself this highly that a proverb could use it? Well, a proverb can use all kinds of things because it's just proverbial and figurative. Nebuchadnezzar declared that no god, not even of Daniel's friends, could save them from him. When he built that fiery furnace and heated it up seven times, and see what God is he that can save from my hand see he thought he was like the Most High the kings of Babylon did Daniel blasted such arrogance of Nebuchadnezzar and Belshazzar what was Belshazzar doing on the night that he was overthrown when this proverb would become reality what was he doing I've already been through it Belshazzar gathered a thousand of his nobles together into his palace and he called for special vessels to be brought from the vault of Babylon. From the vault of Babylon were brought by his specific request. They had conquered the known world. There were lots of vessels. Bring me the vessels of Jerusalem from Mount Zion where that God of the Jews was worshipped. They brought him those vessels from the vault. He poured wine into the vault, into the vessels from the vault of Babylon that were in use in the temple of the living God of heaven and earth. And they toasted the gods of wood and stone. Daniel 5 tells us this. Daniel 5 will give you goosebumps in light of these three verses. Right. And so will Psalm 48, 1 and 2. They toasted the gods of wood and stone. And while they toasted the gods of wood and stone, making a mockery of the God of Jerusalem, the God of Mount Zion, whose name is the Most High, that hand came out on the wall. Because the God of heaven had just been offended so greatly, the hand came out and wrote, Meme, meme, tekel, ufarsin. You have been weighed in the balances and are found wanting, and the kingdom has been taken from you and given to the Medes and the Persians. And they were in the riverbed and in the city already. Because it happened that night while they had that party. Daniel was called because the queen mother said, Son, there's a man in your kingdom that helped your grandfather. And if you will call for him right now, he can tell you what that writing on the wall means. And they called for Daniel. And Daniel came in and told them that your father Nebuchadnezzar had a meeting with the Most... Will you please listen to my words? A meeting with the Most High. And he learned that the Most High ruleth over the sons of men. Now Belshazzar... And he told him to his face, you knew all this, and you have taken his vessels, and this is what it means. And Belshazzar celebrated the meaning by giving him a chain of gold. What should Belshazzar have done? Do we understand what we should do when we are in the presence of revelation from God? He should have fallen at Daniel's feet and begged him to pray to that Most High God and save him from what was coming. But he didn't. He didn't at all. He just wanted to show his magnanimity by putting that chain of gold around Daniel's neck. Do you know what history tells us? This is outside the Bible except this fact. The Bible tells us that night was Belshazzar slain. Do you know what history tells us in the annals of Cyrus the Great? The commotion in the city had become loud enough that it was interrupting the peace and tranquility of this banquet. And Belshazzar was irritated by the noise and said, Open the doors and figure out what's going on in the city. Praise his glorious name. Cyrus was waiting right there. and And Darius and the Medes and the Persians took him and slew him that night maintain context it's about the king of Babylon maintain genre it's a proverb maintain history what did the king of Babylon do the night in which Cyrus took the kingdom with Darius maintain hermeneutics by the fact that the prophets told us they use similitudes maintain that we cannot have a private interpretation here we cannot take one word one passage pull it out of the rest of the Bible and make it about the devil where is it ever quoted in the Bible about the devil? Where is it ever used? Where, where are we ever directed to it? What is in it about the devil? It's a proverb. You say, well, it's the name Lucifer. No, you're assuming that. You're assuming that Lucifer is the name of the devil. Lucifer is the name of Venus. Lucifer is the light bearer. Lucifer is the bright and morning star. Jesus is the bright and morning star. Amen. This is just the king of Babylon promoting himself. This is this is other kings in the grave talking to him. Who actually is saying these words? How art thou fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning? Who's actually saying them? Are we going to make it literal? Is it God saying them? It's figurative. It's other kings in the grave saying it. You're down here with us. You thought that you were the dawning of civilization. Oh Lord. <laughs> In the night Belshazzar was slain, he had carefully chosen to blaspheme God's vessels. He premeditatively chose to abuse vessels of Israel's God, the Lord. Those vessels were not on the table. They were not among the king's usual vessels. Not only did he order them brought up, he mocked their God by his gods. It was precisely at that time, mocking the Most High God, that the hand appeared he absolutely did know that Israel's God was the most high over all gods because Daniel told him he knew it. Right. Daniel 5 will give you pleasure like it's never given you before, if you'll read it again after today. If you had to proverbially if you had to proverbially mock the king of Babylon that was in Daniel 5, if you had to write the proverb or the parable to mock and ridicule the king that is in Daniel 5 do you know how you'd write it Isaiah 14 12 through 14 that's how you do it it's just beautiful it's perfect it fits you would ridicule and mock him for blaspheming the God of heaven you would mock him for presuming over Judah's royal stars you would mock and ridicule him for thinking to sit as God in Mount Zion in the congregation of the Lord on the sides of the north. Ah, please see it. Please see Psalm 48, 1 and 2, and Daniel chapter 5, right here. (laughs) Daniel told him to his face, you knew this, and you did this. And so now he's being mocked for using the language of Psalm 48, 1 and 2 and the Most High that had introduced himself to Nebuchadnezzar by seven years in graduate school as the Most High God. If this is Satan as Lucifer, he was already in heaven and already above the stars. It doesn't make a bit of sense in any, dire- any way you look at it. Once you stop, you know the Bible says, it is all plain to him that understandeth. Right. But it's that first understanding that the Lord has to give us to see a passage in its proper light. The proverbial ridicule of Belshazzar continued in the same vein as we went into verse 14. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the Most High. That night Belshazzar was slain, he had chosen to blaspheme God by those special vessels brought from the temple of the Most High. I'll be like the Most High. These vessels were used in the temple of the Most High. I will use these vessels in my party. I will be like the Most High. It's a proverb mocking him for what Belshazzar did so presumptuously and so premeditatively that night with the vessels taken from the temple in Jerusalem. Oh, Verse 15. Yet thou shalt be brought down to hell, to the sides of the pit. What hell are we talking about here in the context of Isaiah 14? The grave. The grave. The Bible says... about parents to children, thou shalt beat him with the rod and shalt deliver his soul from hell. Do you mean that spanking saves children from hell? If hell is the grave and a premature death, spanking does do that. It doesn't save them from the lake of fire. We still have the grave in the cemetery under consideration. Verse 16, They that see thee shall narrowly look upon thee and consider thee, saying, Is this the man that made the earth to tremble that did shake kingdoms? These are men underground. These are men in the cemetery. These are princes and kings. It's part of the 20-verse ridicule and mockery of the king of Babylon. It's just continued right straight through. Is this the man, verse 17, that made the world as a wilderness and destroyed the cities thereof, that opened not the house of his prisoners, that didn't let the Jews go back, that kept Zedekiah with his eyes cut out, having seen the last thing in the world? The, death, the murder of his sons in front of his eyes would never let him go. He was in prison for the rest of his life. And so there's a mockery made of the king of Babylon, especially Belshazzar. Verse 18 All the kings of the nations, even all of them, lie in glory, everyone in his own house. This, is, this language is beautiful. What does that mean? All the kings of the nations, even all of them, lie in glory. They have beautiful caskets in fantastic vaults and beautiful mausoleums and monuments made to their honor. Isn't it, do you like this? 20 verses, it's it's a tremendous piece of literature. All the kings of the nations, even all of them, lie in glory. Kings get decent burials, folks, is what the verse, that's all it's saying, kings get better than decent. It's a state funeral when a king dies. What kind of a state funeral did Belshazzar get? Darius the Mede chopped him to pieces in the streets of Babylon. Verse 19, but thou art cast out of thy grave like an abominable branch. No, he wasn't cast out. It's as if the grave threw him out, that he wasn't going to get an ordinary grave like the other kings that were in the grave with fancy caskets, vaults, mausoleums, and monuments. Thou art cast out, hell came to meet you and tossed you out and didn't treat you like the other kings that we're describing. You're like the the raiment of those that are slain. You know, when someone has a garment and they're killed in battle by being slain with a sword, they bleed all over the thing and nobody wants it. You're like that, that go down to the stones of the pit as a carcass trodden under feet. You're just a carcass that wasn't given a state funeral like other kings get. Verse 20, thou shalt not be joined with them in burial. You're not going to get a state funeral. And there's reasons given here why. This is mocking the king of Babylon. Because thou hast destroyed thy land and slain thy people. You have been an oppressive ruler. And then it jumps to a new topic. The seed of evildoers shall never be renowned. Your descendants are never going to be famous. Your descendants will never accomplish anything because they're going to be cut off. This is part of the ridicule. But the first half of verse 20 is telling the king of Babylon in this proverb, mocking and ridiculing him that he's not going to get a state funeral and be treated like other kings. You will not join them in burial. He certainly died and was buried in some way. But he didn't join them by having a similar or comparable funeral. Right. The seed of evildoers shall never be renowned. Verse 21, prepare slaughter for his children, for the iniquity of their fathers. This is the proverb continuing through verse 23. Prepare slaughter. Cut off his children, that they do not rise. We do not want his children growing up, passing military academy, and getting into the court of Babylon, nor possess the land. We do not want them owning property, nor fill the face of the world with their cities. We do not want them progressing like that. And so the judgment here is being issued by an inspired proverb put in the hearts and mouths of the Jews that were delivered from Babylon by Cyrus the Great. For the third verse told us, when you are delivered and you know that you are safe and you've been given safe passage the thousand miles back to Jerusalem, unleash this proverb. Because this is from God. Unleash this proverb. This is what I think of the king of Babylon and you can use it among yourselves. And that's what we're reading through right now. And so verse 21 is to cut off the family tree of the kings of Babylon, that they do not rise into power, nor possess the land, nor fill the face of the world with cities. Verse 22, for I will rise up against them, saith the Lord of hosts, and cut off from Babylon the name. How many people with the last name of Nebuchadnezzar? Or a first name? I'll cut off the name, the remnant, and son, and nephew, saith the Lord. Wonderful. Fabulous. Verse 23, I will also make it a possession for the bittern, a bird relative of the heron, that loves swampy, marshy territory, and pools of water. I'm going to reduce this place to nothing, and I will sweep it with the besom. A besom is a broom of destruction, saith the Lord of hosts. I'm going to sweep this place down, and so verse 23 of Isaiah 14 is like verses 20 through 22 of Isaiah 13. It ends the proverb, and it comes to a summary. I'm going to sweep this place, and there's going to be nothing left. Verses 20, 24 through 27. I'm sorry if you still have questions or you want to think about it more. There's an outline for you to think about it more. I thank the Lord for it. Amen. Amen. And I'm going to to tell you that if you'll think through Daniel 5 and read it carefully and what Daniel actually said to Belshazzar, you will love the connection. And if you will read Psalm 48, 1 and 2 in light of verses 12 through 14 right here, you will say this is perfect, perfect ridicule and mockery of a king that was bold enough to do what he did the night he died. And then I want you to send me a list. Go ahead and use your, computer, your Bible computer programs. Send me a list of all the verses that use Lucifer in the Bible in case I've overlooked a few. Verses 24 through 27 are just descriptive of our God's sovereign authority to govern the universe, to govern this world, to govern nations, right. to raise them up, to put them down. He purposes, He thinks that's what He does. No one can stop Him. I remember, as a late teenager, learning about these verses for the first time and then filling my, my soul with so much joy and faith that there was a great God that deserved all my life. Amen. Verse 24. This is no longer the proverb. The Lord of hosts hath sworn. That's serious. The Lord of hosts hath sworn, saying, Surely, as I have fought, so shall it come to pass. And as I have purposed, so shall it stand. That I will break the Assyrian in my land and upon my mountains tread him underfoot. Then shall his yoke depart from off them, and his burden depart from off their shoulders. This is the purpose that is purposed upon the whole earth, and this is the hand that is stretched out upon all the nations. For the Lord of hosts hath purposed, and who shall disannul it? And his hand is stretched out, And who shall turn it back? Amen and amen. amen. All of 13 is about Babylon. All of 14 to verse 23 is about Babylon. But then Isaiah, by inspiration, realizes that they don't even recognize Babylon as their enemy yet. There's another enemy that they are certainly worried about, and that's Assyria. And so these four verses referring back to chapter 10 and the overthrow of let's go back to chapter 10 because we need one verse if you just want to celebrate understanding let's come back to isaiah 10 which is about god destroying assyria verse 27 it shall come to pass in that day that his burden shall be taken away from off thy shoulder notice the similarity in these words the burden the burden that Assyria put on the Jews will be taken off his yoke from off thy neck and the yoke shall be destroyed because of the anointing because this is all about the Lord of hosts and him having a king that sits upon the holy hill of Zion and so verses 24 through 27 starting out with the Lord of hosts finishing with the Lord of hosts and his purpose he is going to break the Assyrian in my land See, it wouldn't be in the capital of Nineveh. Nineveh was the capital of the Assyrian Empire, 700 miles away from Jerusalem. I will break the Assyrian in my land. And we know how he did it. The angel of the Lord went out into the camp of the Assyrians and killed 185,000 of them in one night, so that in the morning the few that were remaining, when they woke up, they were all dead corpses. And so he did, verses 24 through 27. These next five verses I had the most pleasure with, and you may not. It's it's okay. It's okay. In the year that King Ahaz died was this burden. Rejoice not thou, whole Palestina, because the rod of him that smote thee is broken. For out of the serpent's root shall come forth a cockatrice, and his fruit shall be a fiery flying serpent and the firstborn of the poor shall feed, and the needy shall lie down in safety. And I will kill thy root with famine, and he shall slay thy remnant. Howl, O gate! Cry, O city! Thou whole Palestina art dissolved, for there shall come, forth, for there shall come from the north a smoke, and none shall be alone, in his appointed times. What shall one then answer the messengers of the nation? That the Lord hath founded Zion, and the poor of his people shall trust in it. So this is about poor Jews, this is about needy Jews, and them trusting in God because of the anointing that he would never forsake Mount Zion. And he never did forsake Mount Zion. Verse 29, Philistines, go look it up if if you're troubled by me changing palestina trying to help you to the coast of palestine because back in the days of isaiah all of canaan was never called palestine but the coastal area was where the philistines lived and they were perpetual enemies of israel don't you get excited philistines because the rod of him that smote thee is broken who was smiting the uh, philistines that got broken in context Whose rod was broken in context? Assyria. Turn over to chapter 20 of Isaiah. Just just a couple of pages. Do you know the five capitals of the Philistines? Ashdod was one of them. Here we go. Isaiah 20, verse 1. In the year that Tartan came unto Ashdod, when Sargon the king of Assyria sent him, and fought against Ashdod, and took it. So, the king of Assyria took a capital city of the Philistines, and now Assyria is broken. And the king of Assyria, Sennacherib, went back to Nineveh shamefaced because he lost 185,000 men to who knows what. They were dead corpses in the morning. So the verse is So Isaiah the prophet, God is saying to Philistines, but it's all among the Israelites, they're just celebrating the fact that the Philistines, their perpetual enemies, are not going to be treated like they are going to be treated. Philistines, because the rod of him that smote thee is broken, for out of the serpent, don't get excited, don't celebrate and don't rejoice, because out of the serpent's root shall come forth a cockatrice. The serpent that had bit them, the rod, Assyria, what grew out of Assyria? Nebuchadnezzar the Babylonian. Nebuchadnezzar the Babylonian. And his fruit shall be a fiery flying serpent. If you think the first serpent was bad, wait till the second one gets a hold of you. Verse 30 is jumping to the Jews. And the firstborn of the poor shall feed, and the needy shall lie down in safety. The Jews are called the poor, down in verse 32. And I will kill thy root, notice the change, I will kill thy root with famine, and he shall slay thy remnant this fiery flying serpent that's gonna come, since they didn't like the first serpent, and they thought they would celebrate because Sennacherib had been defeated at the walls of Jerusalem and had gone back to Nineveh. There's gonna be a worse king coming, and it's gonna be Nebuchadnezzar. And he shall slay thy remnant. Howl, O gate, cry, O city, thou whole Palestina. All you Philistines better be howling and crying because you're dissolved. For there shall come forth from the north Not from the east where Judah was, but from the north a smoke, and none shall be alone in his appointed times. He would be one united, perfect, fighting force and army under the direction of God when Nebuchadnezzar arrived. Now turn to Jeremiah 47, just to show you that there's a chapter of the burden of the Philistines. It's short, and it's Jeremiah 47. I just want to read a couple of verses to you. Jeremiah 47 verse 1 the word of the Lord that came to Jeremiah the prophet against the Philistines before that Pharaoh smote Gaza thus saith the Lord behold waters rise up out of the north that description is for Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonians if you look at a globe Babylon is at the same latitude as Jerusalem but there's only one way to get from Babylon to Jerusalem and that's to go north up through Mesopotamia, and then turn south and come down through Syria. They have to come that way. The desert in between is impossible to traverse. So the Babylonians are always described as the forest from the north. Lots of references for that. Thus saith the Lord, Behold, waters rise up out of the north, and shall be an overflowing flood, and shall overflow the land, and all that is therein, the city, and them that dwell therein, Then the men shall cry, and all the inhabitants of the land shall howl. Howl, O gate. Back in Isaiah 14, 31. Cry, O city, thou art dissolved, because there's someone coming that's going to destroy you. And it was Nebuchadnezzar of the Babylonians. What shall one then answer the messengers of the nation? It's assumed by this description here that when the Assyrians were destroyed and Sennacherib went back to his capital of Nineveh, the Philistines sent an ambassage to Hezekiah. Do I have a biblical basis for it? Second Chronicles 32, 21-23 tells us that every nation on earth sent ambassadors to Hezekiah because of the wonders done in the land twofold. 185,000 Assyrians killed in one night and the shadow moved backward 10 degrees. All nations wanted to know what was going on. What shall one then answer the messengers of the nation? The Jews have been reduced to poverty by the Assyrians. He took all the fenced cities of Judah. What's the answer? Because of the anointing. What's the answer? The Lord hath founded Zion. Zion and the poor of his people shall trust in it. Amen. Is, is that beautiful? The Lord founded Mount Zion as his place of worship and the people are gonna trust it. If we get hauled off by Nebuchadnezzar, we're coming back. Nebuchadnezzar is gonna dissolve your nation. May the Lord bless the preaching of his word for you to remember that we have a God that rules the nations He's our Father in heaven, and he will take care of us no matter how bad the news is that you have to read from time to time. And amen. Amen.